So Romans chapter 1, and let me read verses 8 through 15. God's word says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit and preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask for his help once more. Father in heaven, without you we can do nothing. So please open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your law. To make Christ glorious to us that we might bow before him in worship and in service. And we will give you our thanks. Please bring fruit from your work. And we will thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, several weeks ago, we were taking down our Christmas ornaments, and as I pulled one of the ornaments off the tree, the hook caught on the branch, and it popped out of my hand, hit the ground, and broke. And of course, it was one of those special ornaments, one of the ones you've had for years, lots of sentimental value, and I figured the thing was trashed. I mean, it's done, but Beth ordered some Gorilla Glue. You ever use that? And wow, it did the trick. We we were able to repair this broken ornament. You see that glue, it's really strong. And it comes with lots of warnings about, you know, how you handle it. Because the last thing you want to do is get your hand stuck to something. In fact, I read one story where a man, he heard a lady use Gorilla Glue on her hair. Now, don't do that, okay? But she said this really worked. And he said, no way that doesn't work. Gorilla Glue isn't that strong. And in order to disprove it, he got a red Solo cup stuck to his lips. And he had to go to the hospital to get it removed. So this stuff is really, really strong. It's a strong glue. So I ask you, using that analogy, what is the glue, what's the strength, that would hold a church together? Gorilla Glue can repair an ornament can even hold hair, apparently. What is the glue that holds your church together? And I ask that because when we introduced this book a few weeks ago, I said there were divisions in the church at Rome. This is something every church faces at some point, tensions over different issues. In Rome, it was disagreements about dietary laws and holy days, more Jewish Old Testament ideas. Did they still need to be observed? 
And those who said no, they were struggling with being smug about it and condemning those who did, uh, or, or maybe I should say putting pressure on those who didn't. Those who did observe those things were struggling with judging those who were not and condemning them for being unfaithful. So there is tension between those two parties. And some of that probably, or at least possibly, shook down among ethnic lines against the Jew, Gentile, uh, Old and New Testament dispute. So there was tension there on that issue. And then furthermore, Paul himself, he didn't have the same relationship with this church that he had with other churches. He didn't start the church at Rome. He had never visited it. And he wants to establish bonds of trust with that congregation. He wants them to support him in his mission to Spain. So they're a little tense with each other, and they're still trying to work out, can we trust this Apostle Paul guy? So what glue does Paul focus on in order to bring the church to unity and in order to establish a relationship with that body? Well, the answer again is the gospel. It runs through all of Romans. But more particularly, specifically this morning, This passage shows how the gospel affects the Roman Christians. What does it do for them in their life? And so we can use these verses to answer the question, what holds a church together? And we'll see four answers as we proceed. Here's the first. Common faith in Jesus Christ. From verse 8, common faith in Jesus Christ. Christ. So last week we examined verses 1 through 7. That is Paul's greeting to the Romans. In verses 8 through 15, he gives thanks for the Romans. And when you wrote a letter in the ancient world, that was a standard form. You greeted your audience, you gave thanks for them. Well, what does Paul give thanks for as he writes to the Romans? He says in verse 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Paul gives thanks for the Romans' faith, a common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at a few things from this verse that that bring that out. First, Paul says, your faith is being reported all over the world. Now, Paul can say that. He has traveled extensively through the various parts of the Mediterranean world. If you ever look at the back of your Bible, it shows those maps of Paul's missionary journeys. He's probably on the third one when he's writing this letter. So he has traveled extensively throughout that area, modern-day Turkey and Greece and beyond. Paul wants to get further west to Rome and Spain. But as Paul has gone on all these journeys, and many of the places he's gone... He has heard about the Roman Christians' faith. Knowledge that even in the capital of the empire, people have bowed the knee to King Jesus. There in the heart of darkness, the gospel has penetrated. And that word has gotten out to the different churches. And so Paul can rejoice. Hey, you're sharing the faith of these churches. I go and start these churches, but they hear about your faith. And we're all holding this faith in common. And so when Paul says it's gone throughout the whole world, there there may be a little exaggeration there. Or perhaps his point is simply the world as we know it, the Roman world. Hadn't gone to Peru yet, but in Paul's day, it was spreading throughout the inhabited, civilized world. And Paul gives thanks for that. 
And notice also when he says there in verse 8, first, uh, if you start reading looking for the second, you'll never find it. Paul never gets to the second. And so probably he says first, not to start a list, but simply to emphasize the importance of this thanksgiving. Here's a, here's a really important thing for me that I want you to know. I give thanks for you. I don't know you yet. I haven't seen your face, but there's a genuine concern here. And I give thanks, a concern in, ter- in terms of love and appreciation. And I give thanks for you. So despite the distance between Paul and the people, despite the tension they had with one another, there was something they all held in common. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A common bond that could strengthen the churches and the church to hold them together. Paul's thought here reminds me of how Peter opens his second letter. He addresses those, quote, who have received a faith as precious as ours. Peter and his readers share the same faith. And you might say, well, how how does that work? I mean, it's Peter. He's way up there. They're down here. No, not in Peter's mind. They held the same faith. It was the same object. It was the same ascent, the same ideas. They all held this faith in common, focused upon Jesus Christ. And so it was as precious as what the other had. And that's the first ingredient in a glue that holds a church together. Let's look at the second, earnest prayer for one another. Paul builds on the expression of thanksgiving in verse 8 by informing the Romans of his prayers for them in verse 9 and his desire to visit them in verse 10. So this idea of earnest prayer For one another. Let's look at those verses. Paul says, God, whom I serve in my spirit, in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. He gives thanks to the Romans and he constantly prays for them. And you may wonder, okay, well, what kind of things did Paul pray for when he prayed for the Romans? Well, he only gives us one specific item here, his desire to visit them. But throughout Paul's letters... He often reveals the content of his prayers for the churches. And I have personally found these immensely helpful for structuring my prayers. I think you'll find it helpful too if you were to use this practice. So Paul tells the Colossians, and I'm paraphrasing here, I pray that God will fill you with the knowledge of his will so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and bear fruit in every good work and grow in the knowledge of God, be strengthened, and give thanks to the Father. That's a pretty good prayer guide. That's a good skeleton prayer you can pray for one another, for your family and others. He tells the Philippians, I pray that your love may abound more and more, so that you may discern what is best and be blameless for the day of Christ, filled with righteous fruit. He tells the Ephesians, I pray that you will know God better and that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And there's more. There's there's some resources that that go through all these prayers and, and lay them out. You get the point, though. How did Paul form a connection with the people? He prayed for them. 
And I do not want to sound too cliche here, but these prayers are something Paul offered from his heart. Look again at verse 9. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you. Paul viewed these prayers for the people as an act of worship. For him, it was an expression of his gospel ministry. It's like Samuel in the Old Testament saying, you know, far be it from me that I should sin against God by failing to pray for you. It was his expression of his ministry. But I think it also shows in how it applies to us. We said last week, all of us should be defined by the gospel. All of us should exist for the gospel. Well, part of gospel living, gospel ministry to one another, is praying for one another. And a result of praying for one another is the bonds of the church are strengthened. So use these prayers of Paul. Let them guide you as you pray for one another. Take the church directory and pray through it over the course of a week or two. Use the prayer bulletin that we put in the narthex to pray for one another. That's part of the glue that holds us together. And notice what else, before we leave this point, notice what else Paul says in verse 10. Here's the one specific request he gives us here. I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. For some time, Paul has desired to visit the Romans. He's tried to go. And several times, he's been thwarted. He'll tell us that in verse 13. I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now. And so Paul says one more time, I'm going to try, I'm going to have another go at this to, to form this relationship. And it's, it's almost clunky, verse 10, in how many qualifiers Paul includes. He says, I ask that somehow, by God's will, I may now, at last, succeed in coming to you. Paul says, I'm just, I'm completely dependent on God's will. If I'm going to come to you, it will have to be God's will. But it is his strong desire to meet that congregation. It is something for which he earnestly prays. And I think it's good for us to cultivate that for one another and to do it through prayer. So third ingredient in the glue is spiritual Fellowship. As we come to verses 11 through 13, Paul begins to explain why he desires to visit the Romans. Verse 11 reads, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. Now, when you hear that word spiritual gift, maybe you think of the lists of spiritual gifts Paul names sometimes. He even has one in Romans in chapter 12. He'll mention prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and showing mercy. So there are spiritual gifts God gives us. But I don't think he's thinking that specifically yet. Here, I think he's thinking generally of wanting to spiritually strengthen them. If he visits the Romans, he can spiritually strengthen them. And how? What would he give them that would spiritually strengthen them? He would give them his understanding of the gospel. The understanding he unpacks here in his letter. You say, how do you know that? Because he wants to come and strengthen them. He can't. So instead, he'll send the letter. 
and the understanding of the gospel in Romans will strengthen them. That will have to do until Paul gets there. But I love this. Not only does Paul imagine, okay, I'm going to come and I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to give you the, the whole counsel of God in the gospel. But he also imagines the Romans will strengthen him. Notice verse 12. He says, I want to visit you, that is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I want to strengthen you, and I want us to be mutually encouraged. How? By interacting around the gospel. Now, I'll be honest, I I find this a somewhat surprising statement by Paul. I mean, when you think of Paul, he is an apostle. He's that guy who's in charge. He has authority. But what does, and he does, but what does Paul indicate here? Hey, this relationship is not one-sided. I'm coming to strengthen you, and I know that you will be encouraging to me. I want to help your faith. I know your faith will help me. I think it's an understanding that not only does Paul have teaching authority, but he is also one of the people. And so he's tactful in how he asserts his authority with the Romans. He's going to build that trust in order to establish this relationship. And again, this directs us in thinking about the fellowship of the body of Christ. Social interactions are great. God gives us many of those opportunities. So building on that, I would encourage you, again, as I often have, use those opportunities to pursue conversations around the gospel. And trust me, I know that can feel awkward at first because it sounds fake. And you don't want to sound fake like, all right, I'm going to force you know this issue here. But just simple questions. Hey, how can I be praying for you? Oh, I don't know much about you. How did you become a Christian. That that opens doors to spiritual fellowship. And then you, you be a good listener when they talk and, and show concern and interest, and that kind of fellowship builds and holds a church together. So we come then to the last idea, pursuing unity in the gospel. Now, I know this sounds sounds just like the first point, doesn't it? We had common faith in the gospel. Now we have unity in the gospel. It's a different angle. Let me explain. Listen to verses 14 and 15. Paul says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Paul wants to visit the Romans. And reap a harvest among them. He wants to see spiritual fruit born from them as he does, as he has the other Gentiles. That's what he says at the end of verse 13. And then Paul immediately follows up that statement about spiritual fruit with this statement in verse 14. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks. Now, how do those two hold together? 14 flows out of 13, but how? Well, it could be that Paul imagines one fruit of gospel ministry among the Romans will be the breakdown, perhaps even the dissolution, of social barriers in the church. Paul is obligated to all. He ministers the gospel to all. All are saved by a common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, all have equal standing in the church. And the divisions that characterize the world societies should not 
play a role in the church. We talk about we don't want to let the world creep into the church. That's one way the world creeps into the church. When the world's divisions along status and what have you divide a congregation. And that is something the ancient world struggled with, and it's something we can struggle with as well. So back in Rome, they viewed non-Greeks, non-Romans as uncouth, uncivilized. In fact, the word barbarian, it's based on how Greek speakers heard the speech of non-Greek speakers. To their ears, it was just bar, bar, bar. So there was this feeling of superiority amongst the Roman citizens. But Paul says that superiority will play no role in the life of the church. As he says in Galatians 3.27, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Suetonius was a Roman historian. He was born shortly after Paul's time. And he wrote a work entitled Life of Claudius, which refers back to when Paul lived. He's writing as a Roman for Romans. He's just writing Roman history. But in this work, he makes this interesting note. Since the Jews constantly made disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, he expelled them from Rome. Now, most scholars think when he says Crestus there, he's talking about Christ. But he doesn't really know that much about Christ or Christians, so he gets the name wrong. He didn't really care who this Crestus guy was. He just knew the Jews are always getting upset about him. And there's these disturbances. So I'll solve that. I'll throw all the Jews out of Rome. And historians date that expulsion to A.D. 49. That's about six or seven years before Paul wrote Romans. And a few years later, still before Paul wrote Romans, the Jews were allowed to return. Now here's what I'm telling you this. I want you to think about how that may have affected the dynamics in the church at Rome. So the church at Rome was probably founded by Jewish pilgrims, Jews who went to Jerusalem and were saved on the day of Pentecost. And then they went back home to Rome, and they took their newfound faith with them. Now, a church that is primarily Jewish is going to have a Jewish feel to it. Churches have that. They have cultures and feels to them. And as those Christian Jews worshipped and evangelized, now Gentiles are being added to the church. But then, all of a sudden, overnight perhaps, the Jews had to leave. And now the church is majority Gentile. Now, some Jews may have stayed. It's not clear just how enforceable Claudius' decree was. But the changes, no doubt, affected the dynamics of the church. The church suddenly had a very different feeling. Went from mainly Jewish to mainly Gentile. And then, a few years later, the Jews began to return. And when they came back to their church, things probably felt different from what they remember. And that probably explains why we read about some of the tensions we do in Romans chapters 14 and 15. So the question is, what do you do when the dynamics of a church change? You build bonds around the gospel. That is what Paul does in this letter. He unpacks the gospel. 
And he does it for more than 10 chapters and waits till the very end to make his most specific application. He lays down what is essential for Christianity. He introduces what the gospel is and what is held in common. And then at the end, he says, okay, here's where there might be some disagreement. Here's where there should be mutual toleration. And over and over again, he returns to the gospel. He says, that's what will sort it out. That's what will hold the church together. So as I've already told you, the Gorilla Glue we ordered, it came just a few days later, and I was able to repair the ornament. I was very careful. I, I applied it to the section where the ornament broke, and then you squeezed it together. You hold it for one minute. And at that point, you could already hold the ornament, and the broken part wouldn't fall off. Now, you also had to set it out and let it set for 24 hours before the work was done. Well, Paul's letter to the Romans, it's a masterful exercise in applying the gospel to all the places it's needed. Where are there broken parts? That's where Paul sticks the glue. He looks at our broken relationship with God, that we are unrighteous, but we can become righteous by faith, be declared righteous by faith. He applies it to holy living. Hey, you can utilize the power of Christ's resurrection to live lives of obedience, to have assurance for the future. And he applies it to those cracks where the people were tense with one another. And he says, this gospel is going to be the glue. It's going to hold the church together. And as it worked its way in, as it sets over time, it will hold the church together in a common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's give thanks for that and let's pray to that end for our church and churches. Pray with me. God in heaven, we do thank you for Jesus Christ. We have one body here because his body was broken for us. So thank you for the good news that Christ bore our sins and his body on the tree. And thank you for new life, new power, new hope, new living in Christ. Lord, forgive us of where we sin against you. Forgive us of where we sin against one another. Forgive us for where we don't pursue these things and don't look to or trust in the gospel to build the spiritual bonds that we need with one another. Forgive us for where we don't. And we would beg of you that you would build those bonds here. Thank you for the bonds we've seen being built over the years. You are good and kind. There is evidence. There is fruit of your work among us. We give you thanks for that. Thank you for good conversations around the gospel, people professing their faith, you being pleased to add to the church and bring all of us to more maturity. Our prayer would be do more of that. Do it through the gospel. Do it through the whole counsel of God and give us great joy and delight therein. Whatever our needs may be as we dismiss this morning, may the Spirit of God Speak truth and comfort and give us what we need, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.